tonight's message will be a little shorter than normally, obviously because of the time and because we have a business meeting um, tonight. But <clears throat> basically the same passage which we were in in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we will look at just in a sense as a passage to go from. This is more of a topical message than going through an entire passage of Scripture like I normally do as I've been going through the book of Genesis and then <clears throat> the book of Exodus. But <clears throat> I want to ask the question, is why do we practice open communion? Why do we practice open communion? You may or may not know this, but there's typically two types of, church, two types of communion. Uh, those which is open, which we have, which we basically open com- the time of communion to anybody who is a Christian, anybody who knows Christ as their Savior. The second is closed. Closed communion is when only those folks who are members of the church can partake of it. Only those folks who uh, are part of a body of believers, that that church, that local church, are allowed to partake. I have never been a part of a closed communion church. I know people that are pastors of closed communion churches. But why are we? As far as I know, as long as we have been in existence, as far as I know, we've always been an open communion church. We've openly allowed anyone who knows Christ as their Savior uh, to, to, to practice with us, to participate in communion or what we call the Lord's Supper. So why do we do that? Well, first of all, let me say, because naturally, one of the reasons, because salvation is for everyone. We start out with every, that basic fact. Salvation isn't just for a few, it's for everyone. Of course, there's many verses on that. Uh, John 3.16 that I quote, Romans 10.13 but uh, also 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what, is, what do we learn from reading the New Testament? That the Lord wants everyone to know him. That, that salvation is for every person. And not only that, secondly, baptism is for every person to, who, who is saved. Baptism is for any, everyone who's saved. Now, baptism, uh, we're not going to, again, again, that's one of the ordinances, as I mentioned, baptism in the Lord's Supper or communion. Baptism is not required for salvation. Uh, of course, the, the greatest example of that is the thief on the cross. He did not get baptized. He did not get baptized. He did not join the local Baptist church. He did not take communion. Get back on that cross and die and go to paradise. That did not happen. He is in heaven right now. He is in heaven. He is an actual person who is an actual. It's not a, it wasn't a parable. He's an actual person in heaven right now. So uh, baptism is not something that, that has to be done for someone to go to heaven. It's what is encouraged and, we're, and the reason why, because salvation can be done something privately. Anyone can, in their own home, uh, in their own car, in the woods, wherever it may, may, may be, privately between them and God, ask the, the Lord to forgive them of their sins, admit their, their sinner, and, and return, repent of their sin, and ask Christ to save them. That's a private thing. But publicly, publicly, baptism is when we identify with Jesus Christ, who is, who is, who is baptized. Baptism is when we... Uh, identify him in his death, burial, and resurrection, and we pu- and we publicly, whether it be here or in a pool or a stream or a river or an ocean, we, pro- we profess before the whole world that we are 
that we are saved. It's a public profession of our inward possession. Inwardly, we know Christ, but outwardly, we want to show the world that we identify with Christ. You say, what happens if you die? If you die and you've never been baptized, as I said, you go to heaven. It's, it's, a, it's the next step in your Christian walk. And if you've not been baptized, if you've never been baptized, I, I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to do so. Now, if you have a, if you're claustrophobic, and you, you don't, I've heard all kinds of, I don't, like, I don't want my hair to get wet. I don't have that problem. Got a lot of problems, but I don't have that problem. Well, you, I've heard all kinds of things, but I would, I would definitely encourage you to, first of all, be saved, and secondly, be baptism. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day they were added unto him 3,000 souls. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, But when they were believed, when they believed, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Then Simon himself believed also when he was baptized. He continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So, in the New Testament, you see the practice of salvation. You see the second practice of baptism. And thirdly, they joined the church. They were added to the church. And that is, what, that is, that is the steps and the actual procession of the steps that we see out through the whole New Testament. People were saved. People were baptized, and they became a part of the church. They became a part of the church. So, <laughs> communion is to be practiced at all that are saved as well. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, and they were eating. Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the, took, and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. This is my body of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And, of course, we just read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. So it's, it's a practice of remembering what Christ has done for us. When should you not partake in communion? Well, first of all, if you've not been saved. If you don't know Christ as your Savior. We're not just doing, that, doing this because we're, we're just to do it. Uh, we're not doing it to absolve us of our sin. We do not believe, like the Catholic Church, that this actually became when we it was not it was not the body of Christ it was not the blood of Christ but when we did the hocus pocus prayer it became the body and the blood of Jesus and you actually ate of it you partook of it and because you partook of it now you are saved now you are you have partaken of the body of Christ we don't believe that that's false that's heresy that's not the truth we do not believe it as I've talked about so if you're not saved you should not partake and of course as I mentioned already in the, in, during the communion, if you're not in fellowship with God, I would not partake. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Now we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and, and not after tradition which he received of us. So if, if, if a person is not in fellowship uh, with the church, obviously that person who's walking disorderly should not be participating in, in, in the communion. Uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 17, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. You're saying that's people in the church. Yeah. <laughs> Paul is talking to folks inside the church. How are we supposed to treat those folks who are walking, choosing to live disorderly, choosing to be disobedient to God? Those who are choosing, making a choice to go against the clear 
teachings of the scripture. The Bible says, Paul writing again to this church in Corinth in, in chapter 11, verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the, the, the Lord's body. So uh, the Bible goes on to say in other places with that person, do not even eat. Don't even eat. Don't even fellowship with that person who chooses to walk in a, in a way that is contrary to the scriptures. And that is hard. That is, that is difficult. But some of you have had to do that with your own children. You've had to come to the place with your own children and say, hey, you can't keep living this, this lifestyle and living in our house. You've had to actually say, you cannot do that anymore. And if you do that anymore, you can't live in this place anymore. That's hard. That's difficult. But it was probably the best thing you could ever do for that child. And sometimes the church has to have practice church discipline. When someone in the church publicly, openly chooses to live a sinful lifestyle, and after he has been talked to, as according to the steps of Matthew chapter 18, goes through that process of discipline, someone talks to that person. Another person, if he doesn't listen or she doesn't listen, talk, goes with them a second time, maybe a third time, but ultimately they reject the reproof, they, re they reject the instruction, and ultimately they have to be brought before the church. That's a sad situation. But as the, as the, as the, there's a truism, a little leaven, the Bible tells you, a little leaven, uh, basically the idea destroys the whole bunch. If you allow sin in, in a church that you know of to continue and you don't deal with it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a corrosive, corrosive uh, power to hurt more than just the person who's committing the sin. It's like uh, you, put, you put a bad apple in a bunch of other apples, it's going to corrode all the apples. So God commands us, and it, it actually we see an example of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There was a man who was having an incestuous relationship, who was actually having a relationship with his mother-in-law. And one of the things Paul had to say to this church who was so disobedient, you have to put this person out. And they actually did. They put him out of the church so that he would ultimately repent of his sin. And the whole goal of it was not to hurt him, but to help him realize that he needed to repent of his sin and to restore him to spiritual health. And ultimately, if you read 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to them again and says, Now this brother, he's repented of his sin, he's doing right, now let him back. And praise God, that's exactly what's ha what happened. It's a wonderful picture of what happens. So why do some churches practice closed communion? Well, some pastors... Feel over have, have a, a maybe feel like they have a greater responsibility to know their flock's spiritual condition. Uh, one passage that is mentioned in relation to that that statement is Hebrews chapter thirteen verse seventeen. Obey them that have rule over you. Submit yourselves for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. In some real sense, someday I'm going to stand before God and give an account of every person who's been a member of North Gainesville Baptist Church. And as my time was at the other church, those who were under me in the youth department, those who were under me in the uh, Sunday school department, somehow I'm going to give an, a spiritual account of their life. Try, I'm going to give an account of, of what happened in their life. And that is true. Secondly, scriptures speak of the practice of closed communion other, for other reasons, for the safety of the uninformed, for the safety of the congregational's doctrine unity. Some believe though a pastor and other church, uh, other church uh, bears some responsibility for each member, uh, there has to be a personal responsibility. So why don't we use close community, communion? Well, 
The main reason is I believe that each person must take personal responsibility for themselves. Do I have responsibility for you as your pastor? Sure I do. Yeah, I do. Do we have responsibility one to another? Surely we do. We see that in the scriptures. But ultimately, as we stand before God, as you and I stand before God, we will stand before God ultimately alone. Before God. We see this at, the, of course, the judgment seat of Christ. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. For no other foundation can any man that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for that day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man abide, which he, which he hath built thereupon, and shall receive a reward, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Know you not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man shall defile the temple of God, he himself shall destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which ye are. Which ye are. So are we gonna, we're not going to stand before God and give an account of our sins. We're going to give an account of our works, what we did with the life, with the time, the talents, the abilities God has given us. If that life has been built on wood, hay, and stubble, basically we lived our life for ourselves. The life, the time, the ability, the gifts, the strengths, the talents we've given it. If we use that for ourselves, it becomes wood, hay, and stubble, and God burns it all up. But if we live our life for Christ, it's not just for a preacher, not just for a missionary, not just for a Sunday school teacher, but whatever it is, whatever God has called you to do for success is finding God's will for your life and doing it. If you're doing what God, you believe God's will is for your life and you're doing it in the will of God, by his grace and his strength, that what you will receive because you've done it for him, him you'll present before God, uh, it says, gold, silver, and precious stones, and you won't suffer loss. But 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 19 says, What? Know you not your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body which is, and in your spirit, which are God's. So the life that we have is really not our own. It's God's. These are God's hands. These are God's feet. This is God's head. These are God's eyes. These are God's ear. And we're to use these body parts, this 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 physical body that he's given us for his glory, because it's, it's his temple, because the Holy Spirit resides in him, in this, and in you who know him. So we're to live for him and honor him. And Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I keep under my body and bring it to subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should, should be a castaway. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So what's he saying? He's saying, hey, I want to, I want to live my life for Christ, but if you, if you do this unworthily, even drinking of this bread, drinking, drinking of, this, of, the, of the cup, and eating of the, of the bread, which is representing the body, if you do it unworthily, you're living a life that's not, not what God wants for us. And he goes on to say in verse 31, if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So it's living a life for Christ. It's living a life for Christ. And that's why I believe we do not have close communion because each one of us will stand before God individually and give an account of our own lives before him. Yes, a pastor has responsibility. Yes, church members has responsibility. 
But since we're all called to be saved, since we're all called to be baptized, and we're all caused, called to uh, partake in this most holy communion, to remember what Christ has done for us, we must individually stand before God and give an account of God for what we have done in this life. Dear friend, that's why it should encourage each one of us, as we talked about this morning, to put Christ first in our lives. Then everything we do and say, then we acknowledge Christ, then we live for him, not just on Sunday morning, not just on Sunday night, not just on Wednesday night, but throughout the, throughout the week, whether we eat, drink, or what's what we do, we do all for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that we get to come together at your house, and we have to get to have this holy communion, and we get to partake. We get to remember what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray, God, if there be one in this room who doesn't know Christ, you'd help them to see Christ before it is too late. It's your will, as we mentioned, that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And dear friend, if you're here tonight and you know Christ is your Savior, I encourage you to know Christ before it's too late. But if you're here tonight and you know you're walking in a way that you should not walk, you're walking in a way which your, your conscience is bothering you, maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you to choose another path, maybe different associates, maybe different entertainment, maybe a different direction, whatever it may be, if God the whole, through the Holy Spirit is prompting you to live a different way, to walk a different way, to go a different direction, I encourage you strongly to choose to do it tonight. Not put it off for next week or the next month or some other time, but choose tonight to live for Him. Let's stand to our feet. As the music plays, if God has spoken to your heart in any way, has He prompted you to do something, to make a decision, to forsake a certain sin? to choose him in a closer way. The altar's open this evening. What would you choose to do? Maybe if some of you choose baptism. Maybe some of you choose church membership. Maybe some of you choose another area of obedience. But whatever it is, I pray you'll choose to obey God tonight.